All right, the next step in our time together is going to be to play a game. So um, I'm going to choose a couple of contestants for our game today. Yes, you are the first contestant. Come on out. And um, let's see here. I really need to get the right. Hi, you. You're going to be the second contestant. Yeah, come on over here. All right, come on up, contestant number one. If you would please stand right here. And I'm going to give you, actually, there's some other, there's some empty, let me get these empty little things, because I, I want you to have one basket, and I want these things to be empty for the other ones. All right, here we go. Perfect. All right, so this is going to all go in here. Hang on to that. You don't need this at all. And this is all going to go in here. All right, you hang on to that one. Okay, now, uh, if you want to just scoot over that way just a little bit, you, just right in front of the table is fine. All right. Um, all right, here we go. Let's cheer them on. She's thrown to this basket, he's thrown to that basket, everything that's in there. Let's, uh, let's see how they do, okay? Uh, on your marks, get set, go. Come on, we gotta get something in. Cheer them on. Yeah, we don't have anything getting in the baskets yet. Oh, there's something in a basket. We have plenty of time, so you can slow down. <clears throat> Wow, yes, 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 yes. How are we doing here? Oh, good, awesome. <laughs> He's almost done, I think. He's getting close to the bottom. How's she doing? Getting close to the bottom there? Yeah, that's good. Go ahead, go ahead. Do your best. Do your best. I'm kind of excited about this, actually. How much left? One. He's got one left. She's empty. Okay. You can set that one down here. You can set that one down right there. Okay, now, ladies, who helped me load them, you can have a seat. Thank you. You can have a seat. I'll let you. Know. We'll let our. We'll find out our winners in just a minute here. Um, as far as you know, there was equal numbers of candy in the two boxes, right? Because I didn't do, I just literally handed you the stacks. I really didn't know you did all the counting. Okay, I'm not trying to do a magic trick or anything, but it sounds like that doesn't, I just realized, oh, I sound like a magician who's setting you up or something. I am actually setting us up, um, but what I would like to do is I'm going to count here. Actually, let me have somebody else. Can you count how many pieces of candy in there? And uh, can you count how many pieces of candy are in this one? All right, and then let's just get some totals here. And then I'm going to need some help. I'm going to ask a couple of people to help me grab the candy, and then you can pass the candy around the circles, and you can have whatever candy. So how many pieces of candy were in this one? Eight. Eight pieces in this one. Good job. And that's, that's what you got, right? You got the eight pieces, okay? And how many pieces in this one? Thirteen. Thirteen pieces of candy. Okay. Now, I just want to congratulate you on being the winner. Good job. Thank you.
that was fantastic. I was terrified that you were going to tie and my whole illustration was going to be ruined. But no, the illustration worked. Because I never told you what the point was of the game. You didn't know if you were trying to get more in the basket or more out of the basket or hand them out to people or do what? I said, let's just go. Let's do. Let's see who wins. And uh, today in our story, we're going to find out that it's really important to know what really is the real goal. I mean, what's really the point of the story? What really is God after? And uh, so that's going to be a part of uh, our story for today. All right, I've asked a few different people if you would read some things from the book of Judges. So if you're one of those people, not everyone's going to go at the same time. We're going to do it in pieces. Whoever has Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, if you would be first. All right, just a second. And everybody else, just listen. I mean, you're welcome to read it on your phones or whatever. But listen in. We're going to do some conversation about this in a few minutes. And so, um, hi, folks. Come on in. You're welcome. Um, so you will need to be paying attention to the story. There's a couple more seats on the couch over here. If you want to make your way to the couch, you're welcome. All right, listen up. He's going to read the first section of uh, Judges chapter 6 for us. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midian. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. All right, so today we're going to spend some time in the story of Gideon. And uh, it's a wonderful, long, beautiful story. Lots of fun cultural things in it. We're not going to have time to look at everything. But there are a few things that I want to draw out for us today that we can take away as helpful things for our own lives as we consider what if God wants to use us the way he used Gideon. And, you know, there's a couple of thoughts that I, I see in the story of Gideon. Gideon experienced victory in the middle of a sinful culture, a failing church, and personal doubts. And my question is, what if God wants to use you as a leader in the way that he used Gideon? And I'm just going to, don't worry, we're going to get back to this candy story here in a minute as a part of our illustration, but just think about that. What if God wants to use you the way that God used Gideon? How would God prepare us to use us? What could be some of the steps in the process that God might use? What could be in God's heart toward us? How could God move us in the direction of victory the way he gave victory to Gideon? So those are some of the things we're going to explore. And the first thing that I want us to notice is going to come out of this section of the story, this first section of the story, 
The first thing that I want you to know is that God is the one who wants to qualify you. God wants to qualify you. Because I think so many times when we look at the culture we're living in, when we look at the situation of our world, many times our first reaction to this is, I am not qualified for the challenge that is in front of me. And I want you to know that in this story, God actually wants to qualify you. And the first thing that I want us to look at is, God shows up to Gideon and God makes some uh, prophetic commentary to Gideon, this angel of the Lord. We don't have time to get into that, but I'm going to say it's a version of God incarnate coming down and speaking with Gideon. And he shows up, he says some things to Gideon, and then Gideon has some reactions to it. So if you remember, or if you've got your Bible open, I want us to jot down what are some of the things that Gideon brings up or that we can infer from what Gideon says that means Gideon says I am not qualified I am not eligible let's try to brainstorm a little bit together so please raise your hand for me just because the room is a little bit noisy so we can all hear your answer whatever you say and then in my really terrible handwriting I am gonna write it on this poster up here in on the wall okay so somebody please tell me what have you noticed that Gideon brings up in response and says I can't do this. Anybody? Okay. His clan is the weakest. Okay, his clan. Weak clan. Yes, what else? He's the least. Yeah, he's the least. I'm the least. All right? He's questioning God's Okay, so we've, Gideon's got doubt. He's experiencing doubt, right? I have doubt. All right, that's a disqualifier in Gideon's mind. What else? Anything else that you see? Anything else you notice? There's not, I don't know that we'll fill the whole paper up, but there might be one or two more that you notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's he doing right now? In the story. Did, I, did we read that part of the story? Yeah, he's hiding. He's hiding. Yeah. So he's, he's afraid, right? Gideon's afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid, Gideon says. That, that can't qualify me. Did you see what I'm doing? I'm actually hiding down in a wine press. It's a fantastic picture. Let me just stop for a second and tell you. The wine presses, if you know better than me, you can correct me later. I'm not the biggest scholar on this, but from what I've seen, a few pictures, it's usually in those days cut out in kind of a rocky section, and it would have like a little bit of a lower down area first, and then a deeper lower down area with a little bit of a slant, and they would dump a bunch of grapes in the higher section, and then squash the grapes, and the grape juice would then run down into the lower section. They're not usually huge, and so, and wheat, I don't know if you probably, most of us, some of you may know this, but wheat, you know, you've got a wheat stalk, and in order to thresh the wheat, you're trying to break the heads of the grain off the wheat. So if you picture Gideon's down in this like hole in the ground, crouched down, this is what I imagine, he's got this arms full of wheat. It's like whacking the wheat against the side of the rocks. I can imagine his elbows are getting scraped up. He's whacking his knuckles on the thing. And he's like, and this angel of the Lord is there with him. And he's like, you're mighty. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm terrified. Don't you see what I'm doing down here in the hole? What are you talking about, mighty warrior? 
that's, that's the picture that I have about it. Anything else that you noticed? Anything else that stands out? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's going to be good. So we're going to actually add this column over here. Um, God's abandoned me. All right. Anyone else? Yeah. Why is all this happening? Why, yeah, why? yeah, why, why, why? Let's just put here, why God? Question mark, yeah. All right, let's keep moving because there's... I love this. I could spend, I've already done five whole long sermons on this one time, so we're not going to have time for five sermons, but we're going to try to move through it. So this first section is Gideon looks at himself. He talks about his weak clan. He talks about being the least one in his family, which I actually think he means he's the youngest. So I want to write something up here specifically. He thinks age is disqualifying him. He thinks that his family heritage is disqualifying him. So I don't know if you've got family of origin issues or if you've got age questions, young or old age. Um, he's got fear problems. He's got faith problems. Like Gideon's got a whole slew of issues that he says, look, I, you can't pick me to be the rescuer for your people, God. I got all these problems with me. Not only does he see problems with himself, but he has a big problem with God big problem with God. And he looks at God and he says, no, 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 no. You don't get to say you're going to deliver Israel through me. If God is with us, why am I in the middle of all these problems, God? If God was with me, none of this stuff would be going wrong in my life. This problem wouldn't be happening. There is no way God is calling me to be involved in any kind of victory for his people because God has actually abandoned us as a people. Now, we're not going to get to do all of the, the depth. It's just so fun, so lovely, so beautiful. But can I just ask you, where is God at the moment when Gideon is accusing God of abandoning him? Yeah, he's standing right there. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful idea. And can I just tell you that's also true for your life and my life? We will get to the place where we're likely to be. Where in the world are you, God? And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he's standing right there with us. And it's easy to say right now, it is hard to believe that in the moment. And it was hard for Gideon to believe it. Very hard for Gideon to believe it. So let's move on uh, to the next, next thing, okay? So... Um, the next piece in the story is verses 17 through 24. Judges 6, 17 through 24. Who has that one? Okay, awesome. Go for it. Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord. He cried out, the sovereign Lord, I 
Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah, in the land of the clan of Abiazer and Ezer to this day. Can I just tell you how much I love the Bible right now? As you're reading that, and as I'm doing this, I've already taught through this a bunch of times. I just saw something brand new that is so beautiful to me. Oh, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Gosh, thank you, Jesus. He's answering my prayers. All right, so we're still under the heading of God wants to qualify you. But what I want us to see right now is something happens here in the story. Gideon's full of these doubts. He's got all these disqualifications. He's upset with God, and he basically says... God, and this is going to be a, a, a trademark of Gideon's, God, if you're really the one speaking to me, you wait here. I'm going to go and prepare an offering and bring it back to you. Now, what's the offering that he says he's going to go and prepare? Go ahead, shout it out. Goat. Yeah, a goat and some bread, right? I don't know how many of you lately have just told a friend of yours when they've come over to visit Hey, I'm so glad you're here to eat a meal. I'm just going to go out and get the goat ready. I'll be back in a little while with the, with the, with the offering, you know, my, the food I'm serving you. I, I live in Africa where people regularly start with a goat that's bleeding, and then lunchtime happens when the goat has been killed and skinned and cleaned and finally cooked and finally ready to eat. And can I just tell you, that is not a microwave process. <laughs> and, and I kind of wonder a little bit, I don't really know, this is a 100% guesswork, so feel free to chuck it out the window, but I just can't help but wonder if part of what Gideon is doing in this moment is, he's just hoping this guy will leave by the time he comes back. Like, it's going to take me a little while to do this. We'll see if this is really the Lord. Just stay right here and I'll be back in a minute with the offering. But of course, the angel of the Lord is sitting there waiting for him when he comes back. And Gideon brings his offering. He brings the meat. He brings the bread. He sets it down. And then we have this really weird thing that the angel of the Lord says. And if you want a fun study, you, you enjoy those kind of things. This is a great passage. If you want to think about who the angel of the Lord is, um, go watch a Bible project thing about it or do some of your own study. The interplay between the word, the angel of the Lord, the word Adonai, the word Jehovah, Yahweh, who's speaking when, who is who when, it gets all mixed up in these passages. And it's one of the reasons why we really think this is talking about the incarnate, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. So the angel of the Lord says this weird thing to me. He says, dump the liquid over the food. Does that ring any bells for anyone in any other stories in the Bible? Yeah, maybe we've, we've heard about this kind of thing before. This is something that God tends to do. And then he reaches out, the angel of the Lord, right? It's the angel of the Lord, not Gideon, who reaches out with his staff, touches it, and <laughs> have you ever lit your gas grill and you forgot to hit the starter thing and all of a sudden <laughs> it blows up like that? My kids always make fun of me for making, like, blow-up sounds. I'm still that guy who makes blow-up noises. But anyways, the fire burns up. And what does Gideon, what's Gideon's response? Somebody look at the thing. What does he say? What's that? Alas, sovereign Lord. Alas. Let's just stop with alas. Like, how would you translate alas into 2022 jargon? Anyone? 
Wow, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a very nice way of saying it, wow. Um, I think of it more with some other kind of language that I hear in some places of the world. Um, I mean, like, I'm dead, maybe, is a way that he says. Like, this is it. I'm totally ruined. And what does he think his problem is now? I'm ruined because, what does he say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And what do we all know from the whole Old Testament? Nobody sees the face of God and lives. You see the face of God, you are dead. That is it. Okay, so here's what I want us to take away from this. Gideon thinks he has some problems, some things that disqualify him from being used. But God wants Gideon to know your disqualification goes way deeper than you realize, Gideon. <laughs> I mean, you think your problem is that you've got a weak clan and you're young and you do... The, your problem is I'm the living God of the universe and I'm interacting with you. You should be dead. Hey, hello, and this is God's story to every one of us. Hi, I'm the living God of the universe. I'm the God that the cherubim in heaven are saying, holy, 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 and I'm going to welcome you and be face to face with you, and truly, truly, you should die. Who you are, what is in you, your sinfulness that you carry, that you have done, and that you carry are enough to qualify you for instantaneous death before my face. That is your actual standing in the conversation. But then notice, notice the gospel flying out of the mouth of, of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. In the, the NLT, and this is one of those places, I'm sorry, I hate translation, doing things with translations. I asked everybody to read New Living Translation. It's not their fault. It's just the way that the translation is. The New Translation says it so 2022. It is all right, is what it says there. But actually, in the Hebrew, he says, the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Shalom. And you probably have heard a little bit about Shalom in your, in your life of, as a Christian. Shalom means peace, wholeness, wellness. It's the proper greeting you give to somebody when you're Jewish people. And this is the gospel to Gideon. Yes, you should be dead. Yes, when you see God face to face, death is the right thing that happened. But instead of death, instead of giving you what you actually deserve, I am going to qualify you. I can actually speak peace to you, and I can make peace with you. I can make you have shalom. When I declare my word to you of shalom, it creates shalom in our relationship. You can have right standing with God when God declares shalom to you. And then here's what stood out to me today. Here's my, the beautiful thing. You get there to the end of verse, in verse 24, don't be afraid, you're not going to die, right? That's a beautiful word. Jesus died on our behalf. And he builds this altar that remains. And so I just want you to know, to this day, there is an altar where God has spoken out to every one of you, shalom. 
It's a permanent altar in the heavenly places that stands to this day with the provided sacrifice on the altar and an accepted sacrifice. But you know what I noticed today? Remember what he says about his clan? He calls himself, we are from the weakest clan and I'm the least in my family. He's an Abizrite or Abiezrite. And it specifically says here, the altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. Guess what? If you feel like you're part of the weakest clan, if you're one of those who's the least qualified, Jesus is wanting you to know tonight, it doesn't just stand in heaven forever. This altar stands on behalf of those who are the weakest and the least qualified. And the Father says to you, I will qualify you. If I call you, if, listen, if I can qualify you to see me face to face, I can qualify you to do anything I want you to do. And that is, that's the gospel for every single one of us today. And I hope you'll go, go home thinking about the beauty of the gospel. All right, let's move on to the, um, to the next part of the story. Uh, who has uh, verses 28 through 32? Judges 6, 28 through 32. All right, would you mind reading that out loud for us? So the first thing that I want to make sure you go home thinking about is that God will qualify you. He wants to qualify you. He will qualify you. The second thing that I want you to go home thinking about is that God is going to give you unexpected allies. Unexpected allies. This is another one of those places where some cultural imagination helps bring the story to life. So first of all, the angel shows up and tells Gideon, this is who you are. This is what I want you to do. Gideon eventually realizes I should die. Then the Lord shows up again and says, I want you to go down and cut down the Asherah pole that is standing in your town. It's your father's family's Asherah pole. And I want you to tear down the altar of Baal. And so it says here, so beautiful. Um, Sorry, I skipped over that part of the story on purpose, just for the sake of time. So let me just tell it to you. He goes out, but he does it in the middle of the night, and he brings ten of his servants with him. And God tells him, you actually need to take uh, a bull and sacrifice a bull on the altar as well. So Gideon's terrified, though. He's terrified of going and doing this, 
because these things were now regularly being used as sacrificial places even among the Jewish Israelite people of the day and so just this is the picture that I want us to think about God tells him to go out to do this to tear it down to take a bull to sacrifice a bull using the wood of the Asherah pole as the fire Gideon's terrified and he goes out at night but if you've ever lived in a quiet place small town quiet place if you've ever tried to get a bull out of his sleep in the middle of the night if you've ever had 10 people with you who don't really want to be doing it but you're trying to make them come with you and do this thing if you've ever tried to cut down an asherah pole and tear down an altar in the middle of the night and rebuild an altar in the dark there's no headlamps no petzl lamps to wear you know there's there's no flashlights to have there's no you can get your iphone out and shine a light like it's pitch black you're chopping things down then you go with a living bull you have to slaughter this bull in the dark cut this bull up get it on the altar then light it on fire in the middle of the night all secretly because you're terrified that the town's gonna know what happens this is really like Gideon's this is Gideon's mo he's terrified he's got doubt he's still terrified he's still got doubt but he's sort of obeying also <laughs> and I love this way that the writer here in Judges says early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been torn down and uh, that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down and the people said to each other who did this and after asking around and making a careful search they discovered oh it was Gideon yeah he had ten servants with him in the middle of the night and they did all this stuff it really wasn't that hard to figure out in a small town who had done this everybody knows who did this and the people of the town say now now God's gonna kill him in the first part of the story now the people of the town are gonna kill him in the second part of the story like and, and actually obeying God you might feel like maybe I people are out to get me now how we react to that is very 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 important but it could feel like things are hard when we take those steps of obedience doesn't mean your your fear is going away doesn't mean your sense of inadequacy is gone you might still be doing it at night you might be trying to force some of your friends to join you because you're terrified to obey God by yourself and people are likely to find out who's responsible for this but you know it's so clear in the law in the Old Testament that nobody that nobody should have been doing this Baal worship this Asherah worship is really terrible stuff and in fact Gideon's dad in just a minute he's actually gonna quote from what the law actually says should happen to the people who do the Baal stuff it's really interesting because Gideon knows the rules of being an Israelite so somehow his family and his clan they know these Israelite rules and the laws of God yet they're also totally practicing idolatrous worship it's all mixed up together 
And in the moment when Gideon's life is on the line and the crowd is about to slay him, who is it that comes to his aid? His dad. I can just tell you, I really don't think Gideon expected his dad to speak up for him this way. Because his dad, his dad specifically says, let Baal contend for himself. We're not only going to not stone Gideon, but whoever pleads Baal's case will be put to death. That's actually what the law of God says. You should be put to death if you are in... Oh, wow. My daughter's calling me. Um, hi, Esther. I don't know if you can hear me. I'm actually in the middle of my teaching thing at the, at the church. Um, so, hi. hi, you're just on speakerphone with everybody here. I love you. And um, send me a text message. Is that okay? Can you just send me a can you just send me a message? <laughs> just got to keep things interesting for everybody and for me too. I don't think he expected his dad to defend him. Cuz his dad knew the law of God, but his dad already had the Asherah pole and the Baal altar set up. His dad was a part of perpetuating the idolatry. And I don't think he expected that his dad was actually going to come to his aid. But something is, at, something is happening here now in the people. And actually, the story writer is dropping some clues for us about what really is going on here. I'm not going to unveil it all quite yet. But there's some foreshadowing happening here in the story. Something about a nighttime thing happening. Something about this confrontation with Baal happening. Something really, really true and deep is going on and in the process he gets an unexpected ally in the form of his dad helping defend him from death in the moment and i, I just want to say that into you as well you will find i believe god has unexpected allies for you some of you are wondering what's it going to be like if i take that step of faith How, how's it going to happen if i obey the lord in the way that i feel like he's asking me to obey and you're afraid for whatever different reasons. you got some doubt. And I just am believing that, that there are unexpected allies, places, people who are going to join you in ways you just never thought that that would happen. All right, let's go, let's go on in the story. Um, okay, so let me give you a little... Um, I'm going to tell you a piece of the story just for the sake of time. He does this. Um, then God says, it's time to go fight the Midianites. And the Midianite army shows up. And um, Gideon rallies uh, the troops. And he has this big group of troops that comes. And um, Gideon gets afraid. He gets, he's worried about what's going to happen again. He has this process that keeps going on with his doubt and his fear. And God shows up again and says, all right, Gideon, actually, I need to talk to you about the situation that you're in right now. I need to help you take the next step towards the victory that I have for you. And uh, who has chapter 7, verse 2? All right, read it out.
Yes, exactly right. This is what God says to Gideon. And this is one of those famous pieces of the story that we've probably heard from Gideon. You have too many warriors with you, Gideon. And remember how God starts this winnowing weird process? Well, some of the guys drink like this. Some of them lean down and drink. The first thing that Gideon says is, hey, if anybody is afraid of this fight, there's some massive number of Midianites. If anybody's afraid of the fight, you can go home. Like 20,000 of the 30,000 go home. And then God, said, then, uh, God says to Gideon, you still have too many people. Uh, you have too many warriors, Gideon. And so do this thing. And a few of these guys drink one way, and most of them drink the other way. And Gideon gets winnowed down to 300 warriors. And when God explains himself to Gideon, he says to Gideon, you have too many warriors. If I let you go into the battle with this many warriors, even the 10,000 warriors, the odds would still, the problem is that Israelites are still going to boast that they saved themselves by their own strength. We've already learned that Gideon is, sees himself as weak. He sees himself as too young, being the least. We've already seen that he's got doubt. He, the doubt keeps popping up in Gideon's life. The whole thing that he does with the uh, fleeces is another expression of doubt and failure. Are you okay? Okay, good. I'm just making sure there was no accident or something. I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. Okay, good. That's my daughter Esther, everybody. <laughs> so, um, he's got this thing of doubt, and it keeps coming up. And he's afraid, and he thinks God has abandoned him. And here's, here's what I want us to, to consider. What's going on in the inside of Gideon is that he's not a mighty warrior. He's actually riddled with doubt. He's riddled with a sense of guilt and inadequacy before God. And God looks at him and says, Gideon, you're living a disintegrated life. Who you are on the inside is this weak and incapable, inadequate feeling, doubtful person. If I let you go into battle with 30,000 soldiers, you're going to think you're actually strong on the outside. Even if I let you go into battle with 10,000 soldiers, your, your heart, your sinful heart is so deceptive to yourself, you'll actually fool yourself into thinking that you're strong on the outside. But Gideon, I see your weakness, and I actually want to integrate your external life and your internal life. I want your sense of strength that is a visible outward sense of strength and your sense of strength that is your inner invisible sense of strength to actually be in alignment. Because an integrated and a whole life is an actual real life, not a disintegrated false sense of who you are. And it's the mercy and the grace of God to remove all of the false strengths from Gideon's life. And I just want, and I want you to know in my life, and many of you have probably experienced this, is God is preparing you to participate in his victory. Don't be surprised if you find 
that you feel like you're just on this downward journey with God. <laughs> like, you, you start out by realizing, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, I should be dead. And then you go into a situation where the other people in your life are also looking for you to kill you. And maybe you have an unexpected ally, but it's still an uncomfortable place to be living. And then you think you've come to the next step, and the Lord is just stripping you of things that you thought were going to be you. Just like, Lord, finally I blew the trumpet, and even though I'm from the weakest clan, all these warriors have showed up, and God says, yes, I know, but you're still actually weak on the inside, and I refuse to allow you to project a false front of strength when your true heart is still this weak and doubting self. I'm going to strip you of all your false strength because what I, my intention for you, my vision for your life is a whole and integrated life. Who you are on the outside accurately reflects who you are on the inside. And if you win a battle, if if I, the Lord, win the battle, everybody will know it wasn't because you were something strong. You'll never be able to claim the strength for it because actually I'm going to help you live a full and integrated life. And I just want us to hear the mercy and the grace of God. The stripping of God is the mercy of God to give us an actually true and whole integrated life. I love that for my own heart. All right. Um, let's read. Who has the next piece of the story? Uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Who has that one? Is that you? Do you is it open? Is it ready? Oh, okay, yep. great. All right, go for it. This is verses 9... Through 14, I think, right? Yep. yep. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Thank you. So remember, first thing, God wants to qualify you. He wants you to know that if he can qualify you for a relationship with him, he can qualify you for anything. Second of all, he wants you to know that there are unexpected allies that he wants to give you on your journey. People and places who themselves are going to not be perfect, just like Gideon's father was not perfect. But he can work in their hearts to turn their hearts in the time necessary to bring them in and help you. Third, God wants to align your inner self with your outer self. 
He wants to bring you, if you are weak and doubtful on the inside, then you're going to have to be weak and doubtful, honestly, on the outside. There's no fake it till you make it with God. A whole and integrated life is his design for your life and my life. Now, there's a challenge that comes. When you, when you realize, when God has come to you and he's stripped you like that, that is a terribly vulnerable place to be. Terribly, terribly vulnerable. Because there's nobody who actually sees your life and your heart as clearly as God sees it. And if God is going to bring your true inner weaknesses out into the light, that is going to be a terrifying process with God because nobody likes to have their vulnerabilities be seen. We don't like to see our own vulnerabilities and we definitely don't want our vulnerabilities to be public. But this is exactly the position that God has put Gideon in. He stripped him of all of his other false external strength and now Gideon is sitting there with 300 guys and there's this very intentional writing in the story where it says you got 300 guys with Gideon but the camels are too many to count for the other guy's side which means if there's that many camels there's even more dudes that can fight. It's just completely impossible and when you're in that moment of true vulnerability before the Lord. Don't be surprised if the Lord comes knocking on your door again. And at this point in the story of Gideon and Gideon's life, like every time God shows up in Gideon's life, God's like, please God, what else is there to do? If, he comes, if God comes to you one more time, you're like, Lord, what else are you going to take away? You've already taken away 20... 9,700 of the soldiers. You've already made me a person of shame in my people. You've already shown me that I'm dead meat in the sight of God. What else can I do, Lord? But it's in these moments when you actually know your true vulnerability that God also wants you to know that he has encouragement for us. And this is such, such perfect God-like encouragement. Um, that God brings to Gideon. Get up, go down into the Midian camp, for I have given you victory over them. Listen to the words of God now. But if you are afraid to attack, I love that. We haven't had enough time, and if I did this over the course of a longer time, I would really come back and show us and really emphasize in the text the number of times that Gideon's doubt and fear are brought out. He never really gets actually, truly bold and courageous. He's actually weak and doubtful. And God's even acknowledging it on the eve of the big day. Gideon, I know you. I love you. If you're still afraid, <laughs> just by chance, I have some encouragement for you that I want to give you. And here's another beautiful truth that we learn in the story of Gideon. God's encouragements can come from the most unlikely places. God can use the words of the enemy to bring his words of encouragement to you and me. Think about this. God puts 
the prophecy of victory and Gideon's encouragement in the mouth of his enemies. That's beautiful. Only Jesus can do that. Only God can make that happen. And we know that that's the heart of God throughout all of Scripture because in the very heart of the mouth of death itself is where the power of forgiveness and then the resurrection explodes out from the place of death. From the hands of the victory of the enemy comes the ultimate overarching victory of the Lord. It's just like God to put the encouragement that we need to hear in the mouth of our enemies. But there's even more encouragement. Not only does God say, if you're afraid, he says, God says to him. Remember last time, God told him to go out and destroy the Asherah poles, and Gideon drags those ten servants with him. This time, Gideon, God says, if you're afraid, Gideon, you can take Pura with you. It's not Gideon's idea to bring Pura with him. It's God's idea to even send his buddy along with him to go down into the Midian camp. I can just tell you this. God's desire for you to actually know his encouragement, the way that he wants to strengthen your heart, his desire for that for you is far, far, far greater than you can even imagine. He knows how to bring the kind of encouragement into your heart that's going to take you into the place that he actually wants you to be, to experience the victory that he has in mind for you. And so here in this moment, we see this, this beautiful word, go down into the camp, and in the mouth of the enemy, I had a dream, and God has the victory. God is the one who's saying to him, you're going to be greatly encouraged. He wants to give us encouragement. He wants to give us assurance. <clears throat> All right. So here I want us to, to push the story down another level deeper. This is one of, my, one of my favorite things about the way that the Bible works. There's always layers of meaning in the Bible. Always. And every layer is just as good as the other. I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're all meaningful. They're all important. But just like today, I noticed something new about the Abizir clan. You can go back to it. This is why you can keep reading the Bible and find something. There's meaningful layers. And I want to I push something down that I think the author of Judges is trying to get us to see, and I think even God is trying to get us to see even beyond just the author of Judges. Because the author of Judges, I, I love um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he says, these authors were like literary ninjas. That's, that's the view I have of the people. So yes, they're literary ninjas, but God himself even has an intention that runs deeper. Let's go back to our the illustration here with the candy. Knowing what a victory is is really important, isn't it? And the truth is we often think one thing is what the victory is going to be and God knows actually this is what the victory is about. So if I were to ask you now as, as the story is most commonly shared and how I've always thought about it and what Gideon's mouth has said, 
what are you expecting and what am I expecting the victory to be for Gideon? What do we think the victory is going to be? Go ahead, just be bold. I'm not going to make fun of anybody. Okay, which battle? Who said the battle? Uh, a battle against the Midianites. That's right, the fight with the Midianites. Like, this is the problem, and we didn't start at the very beginning of the story. The whole reason that the fight is happening is because the Midianites have been coming in and destroying the people and taking all their food. Seven years they've been living with their stuff getting stolen, all of their resources. It's a beautiful thing to meditate on. What is God doing and why is he doing it? But it looks like the victory that, that we're expecting the victory that is going to be written about, the songs are going to be sung, are about this victory over the Midianites. But I propose to you that there's actually a very different battle going on that is actually the battle beneath the battle. The fight behind the fight. And I actually also think it's the point beneath the point. And we've had a few clues that keep getting dropped to us about what is happening. And let me go back in the story to one of my favorite places where the clue comes out. If you want to look at it, you can. Um, at the end of Gideon's tearing down in verse 32 of chapter 6, it says, from then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal or Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. And then the next sentence is, soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then, verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. This is what I see happening. Everything in Gideon's life and the people of Israel's life looks like the problem is their lives are being ruined by the Midianites coming in. And we didn't get to see this, but God actually, instead of just sending the judge first like he does in all the other places in the cycles of the judges, in chapter 6, God doesn't send a judge first. He actually sends a prophet first to the people of Israel in this story only in the book of Judges. And the prophet comes and preaches to the people, and the prophet says to the people, look, your problem is you're worshiping other gods. You think your problem is the Midianites, but you have a problem beneath your problem. And when God, and you think the victory that you need is victory over the Midianites, but actually what you need is, you need a victory beneath the victory. Amen. You think your fight is against the Midianites? Actually, let me tell you what's happening. This is a battle for which God is going to have supremacy. Amen. Is Baal and Asherah going to be the supreme being that is worshipped, or is Yahweh going to be the one who is worshipped? And we can jump back in Joshua and see this story coming at us. We can jump back to Judges chapter 2 and hear the way that Judges 2 describes it. It becomes very, very clear. Listen, the problem that the Israelites had is that they're bowing down to all these other idols. That is the problem in the book of Judges. 
not their famines, not their stuff being taken, not the Philistines coming and killing them. All of the other problems are symptoms of the real problem that is in their hearts. They're bowing down to the other gods. And God keeps saying something, and, and what I love is, it kind of, you have this like little bit of a blip of unveiling because it says Gideon is the, the bail breaker. And then immediately when Gideon is called up as the one who's going to fight against Baal or that that's actually what's going on is a Baal versus Yahweh fight, it says in response to that, the Midianites come flowing into the land. And then not only does it say that, but when the Midianites come flowing into the land, it's as if Baal says, that's right. You can tear down my altar, but I can send 300,000 soldiers in and decimate your whole land. We're going to come in just like we do every year. I'm going to empower them. They're going to steal everything that belongs to you. We're going to totally destroy you. The God of Israel is nothing. Yahweh is nothing. Baal rules supreme. So 300,000 soldiers come rushing in. And what does it say the next line? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. This is not a fight between Gideon and the Midianites. This is a fight between the Spirit of the Lord and Baal. So, that's just, that's, that's something that takes some time to just sort of, that's hard to wrap our minds around. But I'm just going to tell you, the fight beneath every one of your fights, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on. And the spiritual battle is within us for our own hearts. And this is why, who has the last 1715? 715? Who is? Oh yeah, Ruth. Can you just, it's like read the first half the, to the first period. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. That is the victory. That's the moment of victory. Nothing else matters. In fact, Gideon is even going to disobey God in the future again still. But this is what it means to win. This is God's definition of spiritual victory. And as you serve in your community, as God wants to use you as a person to bring victory, let me just remind you, don't let yourself be distracted by the fight with the Midianites. Don't let yourself be distracted by your own disqualifications. God's already won the real qualifying victory in your life. This, the goal is this. This is the only place in the whole book of Judges where an Israelite bows to the Lord Yahweh rather than to any other God. That's the high point in the whole book of Judges. That moment. And I just, I, I plead with you, and I, I plead with my own heart, let's, let's ask God to take us to this victory. We will be everything we need to be for other people if we can get to this place. If he can just do whatever the process he needs to do in our lives to bring us to this moment, we will be people who can stand in every bit of strength that he has for us to give out whatever he needs us to give out into our communities. I just let me pray for you all before, before we go.